Dmitri Samarov speaking. Today I'm going to read <clears throat> a couple of pages from the beginning of uh, Renata Adler's uh, Speedboat. It's a book I've been meaning to read for a while, and uh, I'm really enjoying it so far. I hope you do as well. Castling. Nobody died that year. Nobody prospered. There were no births or marriages. Seventeen reverent satires were written, disrupting a cliché and, presumably, creating a genre. That was a dream, of course, but many of the most important things, I find, are ones learned in your sleep. Speech, tennis, music, skiing, manners, love. You try them waking and perhaps balk at the jump, and then you're over. You've caught the rhythm of them once and for all, in your sleep at night. The city, of course, can wreck it. So much insomnia. So many rhythms collide. The sales girl, the landlord, the guests, the bystanders, 16 varieties of social circumstance in a day. Everyone has the power to call your whole life into question here. Too many people have access to your state of mind. Some people are indifferent uh, to dislike, even relish it. Hardly anyone I know. It is only stupid to put up the sails when the wind is against, the wife of the Italian mineral water tycoon said, on the deck of their beautiful schooner, which had remained all the summer in port because then you lose them. A large rat crossed my path last night on 57th Street. It came out from under a wooden fence at a vacant lot near Bendel's, paused for traffic, then streaked across the uptown sidewalk, sat a while in the dark and vanished. It was my second rat this week. The first was in a Greek restaurant where there are lap height where there are lap height sills under all the windows. The rat, the rat ran along the sills straight toward, then past me. See that? Will said, sipping from his beer glass. Large mouse, I said. Even nice hotels have small mice now, in the bars and lobbies. I had last seen Will in Oakland, before that in Louisiana. He does law. Then something, perhaps a startled sense of my own peripheral vision, registered on my left, coming toward my face fast. My fork clattered. You were all right there, Will said, grinning, until you lost your cool. The second rat, of course, may have been the first rat farther uptown, in which case, I'm either being followed or the rat keeps the same rounds and hours as, as I do. I think sanity, however, is the most profound and moral option of our time. Two rats, then. Cab drivers can't even hear directions through those new partitions, which don't seem to me really bulletproof, although, of course, I've never checked it. Soundproof. 
One's fingers jam, certainly, in the new receptacles for money. Well, somebody sold the partitions. Someone bought them. Crooked, clearly. There doesn't seem to be a spirit of the times. When I started to get out of bed at an unlikely early morning hour, Will, who pitches into sleep as violently as his waking life is gentle, said, Just stay here. Angst is common. I did find a cab home in the rain outside an armory. To the Dow Jones averages, the father said, raising his glass. It was his 68th birthday. His hair and mustache were silvery. Each in his own way, the son said with a little smile. He was not a radical. He had been selling short. They laughed. The entire family, even the grandchildren, at their separate table, drank. The moment passed. Alone in the sports car, speeding through the countryside, I sang along with the radio station, tuned way up. Not the happiest of songs. Janis Joplin, not in any terms, but one of the nicest lines. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. In a way, I guess. There are no tears here, the young construction worker said at the funeral, when the ancient union leader, with two strokes, three heart attacks, and a lung condition, died at last. True, the priest said, surveying the mourners in the cathedral. No tears. Either the wake went on too long, or he was a hard, hard man. The rest are never going to die, a young black po politician said with great bitterness. You see them staggering out of their limousines, all Irish, all senile, all strokes. The union men, even their wives, have cardiac conditions. But I know it now. They're never going to die. They'll die all right, the priest said judiciously. There's not one of them under 76. You'll see. Your time will come. To the future, then, the black politician said. Shall we go to your place or to Elaine's? The young man asked. It was 3 a.m. He was recently divorced. The same question must have been being put just then in cabs throughout New York. To Elaine's, I said. That was where we went. To Elaine's, to the Dow Jones averages, to the future then, to preserve the domestic tranquility. Freedom means nothing left. Cab change receptacles are hearing aids in which one's fingers jam. When the clips are coming in quite fast, it's, it's like waking up and trying to orient the bed. Which side can the wall be on? Which side is uptown, downtown? Which town is it, anyway? In some of the best motels, near airports, along highways, they have magic fingers, a device which, for one quarter put into a metal box, shakes the bed for 60 seconds and sends you quietly to sleep. There are no fingers about it. It is more like sleeping on a train when the tracks are good. 
A sticker on the metal box says that you can have magic fingers in your own home. I don't know anyone who has. I work for a tabloid, the Standard Evening Sun. Since I got this job, I've gone out with four sons of famous fathers, two businessmen with unfinished novels, three writers with a habit of saying, may I use that? When I said something that seemed to them in character. And a revolutionary editor who patted my hair and said, you're very sweet when I asked him anything. I've sat shivering on cold steps with a band of 15 radicals of whom 10 were in analysis and six wore contact lenses. Things have changed very much several times since I grew up. And like everyone in New York, except the intellectuals, I've led several lives and I still lead some of them. For a while, I thought I had no real interests, no theater, concerts, museums, stamp collections, only ambitions and ties to people of a certain de intensity, different sorts of people. I was becoming a ward healer of the emotional life. Now the ambitions have drifted after the interests. I've lost my sense of the whole. I wait for events to take a form. I remember somebody saying, you've got to steep yourself in things. So I steeped myself in thrillers, commercials, news magazines. The same person used to write tepid and arguable all over the margins of what our obituary writers wrote. I now think tepid and arguable several times a day. In the country where I grew up, there were never so many events. Things never went quite so flat. The house was nearly always asleep, and we spoke very low. When father got up at six for his ride or his swim before breakfast, the children, having gone to bed well after midnight, were sleeping. When he came back from his office at noon, the children, pale and silent, joined him for his lunch and their breakfast. After lunch, father had his nap, and at three, mother, having seen him off again to the office, went upstairs to rest for an hour. The family was awake and together only at supper, after which father went to his room and mother stayed downstairs a few minutes to talk to the children. Twenty hours out of twenty-four, in short, the hush of sleep lay over the house. Nobody thought of waking anybody. Sometimes a stupid child would tie a firecracker to a crayfish or a frog just once and light the fuse. Or give a piece of sugar to a raccoon, which in its odd fastidiousness would wash that sugar in a brook till there was nothing left. But here... I used to wonder why the victims of some small sensational tragedy, the parents of a little girl who had just been thrown from the roof of her tenement by a deranged older boy, or the family of a model son who had just gone clear out of his mind and murdered a friend, never shut the door in my face when I came for an interview. They never do. They open the door, 
that bring out the family album and the baby anecdotes. I used to think it was out of loyalty to memory or a will to have the papers get it right. I still think it's partly that and partly being stunned by publicity and grief. But now I know it's mostly an agony of trying to please, a cast of mind so deep and amiable that it is as stark in consciousness as death. In the matter of Doberman Pinchers, I like dogs that are large and hairy and friendly and sleep a lot, with sad eyes behind the hair. When I was young, there was a lady on our road who had Doberman, who had a Doberman Pinscher, bred sharp, vicious, and streamlined, as they all are, like a honed wolf. It meant that whenever a neighborhood child was riding along the tar road on his bicycle, if the Doberman was out, there had to be an immediate leap from the bicycle, and a crouching on bruised knees behind a high stone wall before the owner called her dog back. The dog was devoted to the lady, who, as it happened, did have cancer. For years, I thought of the devotion of Dobermans to their owners and their savagery to others as something almost in their favor. Almost. Then I read a newspaper story about a Doberman that had turned, after many years, upon its mistress, an old lady. When they found her the next morning, it turned out the lady must have run from room to room, trying to shut the door behind the dog before the dog got to her. Just too feeble, or perhaps unbelieving, to escape it. A love story gone off the tracks, one could say in a disillusioned moment. Far off. From time to time, I work with Will at the Foundation, rewriting requests for grants. No such job technically exists, but that's what I do. I try to recycle the film as the medium and the cable television for the ghetto people and help the Blake fanatics and the street reformers who work very hard. Sometimes I miss or lose the point. Late sleeping utopians especially persist like mercury. I'm a fanatic myself, although not a woman of temperament. I get nervous at scenes. I stole a washcloth cloth once from a motel in, in Angkor Wat. The bellboy was incensed. I had to give it back to promote the gen general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. I believe all that. I go to parties almost whenever I'm asked. I think a high tone of moral indignation used too often is an ugly thing. I get up at eight. Quite often now, I have a drink before 11. In some ways, I've overshot my mark in life in spades. Mm -hmm.